0: Welcome to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Nell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioural sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organisations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Professor Vladislav Rivkin. Professor Rivkin is an Associate Professor in Organisational Behaviour at Trinity Business School in Dublin. His research focuses on how self-regulation affects employees' mental health, well-being, and effectiveness. It has been published in high-impact academic journals, such as the Journal of Applied Psychology and the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology. Vlad has a record as a primary investigator of several research projects funded by national governments, industry, and the European Union. These projects focused on developing and evaluating organizational interventions to facilitate employee effectiveness involving leadership training and work design. He is currently the principal investigator of the Diversity Innovation Support Scheme for SMEs, a project funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 program. Vlad, you are very welcome. Thank you very much for having me,
1: Lawrence.
0: On Brain for Business, previously, we, we've talked about the impact of the pandemic on productivity but but in a recent article you and colleagues take a different approach and you've considered the potential impact that a return to office-based work will have most particularly on productivity so perhaps to start with what do you feel has in a general sense been the impact of the pandemic on productivity
1: yeah i think i think it's it's a little bit split in two i would say i mean from 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 my impression uh, in some industries some some businesses have have thrived a lot throughout the pandemic uh, whereas other businesses as, as we obviously know so so there is a lot of, of discussions about, about the hospitality industry about about the uh, tourism and travel industry have been heavily hit uh, and i think the this is this at least from my view, paints quite quite a two sided picture where, where some businesses could adapt very well, and as we know from from uh, other studies that for example, those businesses who have moved into the digital world er earlier on who have been ready. Uh, to basically work in a more digital way remote way whether it's selling uh, digitally where whether it's remote working um, in terms of 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 handling day-to-day businesses they were much better prepared for coping with the pandemic than than uh, what we would call traditional industries so so that's in general my, my impression so so some businesses have taken a heavy hit others have actually, uh, not lost productivity at all, and and, and probably even gain productivity.
0: And so, how then would we measure, to evaluate that? I mean, when, when we talk about you know, some have taken hits, some have, have, have not necessarily suffered. What are the key measures of productivity that you would look for in, in terms of the research you've undertaken? So, so essentially our
1: research looks at individual level productivity. So, so before that, I, I have talked about, about businesses or, or maybe sectors or industries in general. Uh, but, but we can see the same essentially for individuals. Uh, and and I mean just just from my personal experience, I, I, I have heard from from colleagues who are extremely busy, who have to cope with a lot of demands during the pandemic, and then then other colleagues for them the pandemic has has basically uh, caused them to unwind to recover. So 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 the the stress levels. Uh, went down considerably. If we look at individual productivity, uh, what we mostly use are self-reported productivity measures. So, for example, we ask employees uh, about their work engagement, so how engaged they were in their work, how vigorous they were when working, how dedicated they were uh, to their work over a certain time period. We ask them about task performance. so so. Uh, to which degree they were able to fulfill their work tasks, whether they were able to fulfill their daily duties uh, corresponding with the expectations of their organization. We look at citizenship behavior, which is essentially behaviors which go beyond your core professional tasks, such as, for example, helping colleagues, supporting uh, colleagues uh, at work. Uh, introducing new colleagues to tasks uh, and so on. Uh, but we look also on the other side of things uh, such as procrastination and counterproductive behaviors also behaviors uh, which are basically uh, which are harming uh, organizational productivity such as for example slacking off during work, doing your private business uh, when when you're at work. I don't know. Uh, I earlier before the pandemic always talked about planning your holidays or something but they think currently this is not the best example but for example doing the Amazon shopping and so on and, and while we started out of measuring uh, these types of individual productivity over longer time periods and in, in cross-sectional studies what we moved into now are so-called experience sampling studies so actually we look at very situational uh, productivity measures uh, over days, essentially, and and uh, research in the field of business psychology were very much criticized. Uh, for using self-reported measures of productivity because because managers say, yeah, my employees would just say, okay, I'm productive and that's it. But if you look at daily productivity, what we find is that, that employees report considerable variation in their productivity from day to day. And, and everyone who, who has worked in a, in a business environment knows that on a daily basis, nobody would be a better judge of one's productivity than oneself essentially because if you ask the supervisor, the supervisor may not be aware of of how productive uh, someone was on a certain day. So, for example, if you would ask our head of school uh, how productive I was today, I think I spoke to him the last time four or six weeks ago, so he surely wouldn't be able to answer this. Uh, and these, uh, basically, uh, self-reported productivity measures uh, allow us to, to assess uh, how productive or, or how individual productivity varies from one day to the next, so across days.
0: Okay, interesting. So if we take that then and think about the, the research that, that you and your, your colleagues wrote about. As we return to you know, office-based work, hopefully over the coming weeks and months, what do you expect the, the impact on productivity to be? I guess presumably individual productivity.
1: Uh, so in light of our research, but, but, but I think that there is a wider picture which can be looked at. So, so in the research <clears throat> you refer to, we essentially looked at the daily commute and and how it impacts productivity and and what what we found, which which many people at, at first sight may not find that surprising, is that essentially an aversive commute, a commute which is characterized by traffic jams, delays, uh, unpleasant experiences during the commute, uh, has a negative effect on uh, employees' daily productivity. So, this is something which which many people would say, uh, okay, I I thought as much, it's it's not that counterintuitive. But what we found, however, and and this is probably the more interesting part of our research, is uh, the role of self-regulation or self-control in this relationship. So, what we found is essentially, why are people less productive because uh, or due to an aversive morning commute. And, and the reason or, or one explanation for this is that basically the morning commute uh, requires employees to exert self-control. And what, what we mean by self-control is basically people have to control their impulses, their emotions. Uh, so, for example, if you're standing in traffic you need basically Uh, very much put attention towards your driving behavior. Your driving is not automatic. You need to see what the person in front of you does, what the person next to you does, so on. Uh, If you have delays you need to plan ahead. You may need to inform other people that you're getting late for a meeting or something and so on. And the idea of self-control is that that self-control depletes uh, people's mental resources and basically, this mental resource depletion carries on from the commute to your work environment. And, and what, what uh, it causes afterwards is that we are less likely to enter uh, states, which we refer to as autonomous regulation or intrinsic motivation. So the idea is that, that when we uh, engage in certain tasks at work, Uh, We may lose a sense of time, we may become very inherently motivated by by the tasks. And in that regard, uh, what what, uh, this loss of regulatory resources does is it prevents us from entering these highly pleasant states of autonomous regulation uh, or uh, intrinsic motivation at work and that's how the commute affects one's productivity.
0: So does that then apply to, I, I guess, on the one hand, all forms of transport or all forms of commute? So whether it's, you know, car or train or walking or cycling, and, and equally, a second part to that, is there a threshold where, say, up to 15 minutes or 30 minutes, the impact is minimal, but once you go beyond that, the, the impact is much greater?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so excellent question. So, so for the first question our research for the most part focused on, on car and, and public transport commuters. My assumption would be that other forms of commute, such as for example cycling, walking are less self-control demanding. The reason for this is essentially that, that basically when, when you have more active forms of commutes, so, so, so basically cycling or walking would be those forms, uh, then, then uh, it is less likely that you encounter aversive events during the commute. The same goes by the way for the length of the commute in the sense that the shorter my commute is, the better I can plan it, the less likely delays are to occur, uh, which cause me to to, uh, basically revise my planning, to to change plans, inform other people, uh, so on. So, what I would say is A. Uh, that that certain forms of commute, such as cycling and walking, are more preferable in that regard, and B that shorter commutes are also more preferable in that regard. Uh, but we don't have exact thresholds about this. So essentially, uh, there is because because we measure our uh, variables continuously, then we can't say okay, a 15 commute is okay, but the 16 commute doesn't work. So essentially, what I can say is the longer the commute the more likely it is that people uh, encounter aversive experiences and the more likely it is uh, that their productivity will be affected.
0: And intuitively, that that makes sense, although I can think back to my own experience of, of once talking to a real estate agent who was trying to rent me an apartment, which was... Literally across the road from my office, and and I remember thinking, no, I do not want to live so close to the office. I would like to have some commute, even if it's just ten or fifteen minute walk, to to enable that break, to enable me to to separate between the two domains of my life. Uh, yeah, yeah. So
1: so so. I mean, uh, in in fairness, our study is one which which highlighted the the negative impacts of an aversive commute. Uh, but you're absolutely right. there is research which also shows that the commute can have positive consequences. So role transition is essentially one of them. Uh, so, so we can use the commute to transit from our home work, home road to our work role or vice versa on the way home. we can use the commute to detach to create boundaries between work and home. Uh, I mean the question there is whether whether, I mean, I mean, in that regard, the commute is, is a necessary uh, condition for that uh, because we may imagine that road transitions can also occur differently. So you may work, uh, do a walk around your house, you may, you may just, just do some exercise, you may uh, engage in rituals to transition from home to work or vice versa. Uh, I mean, obviously, the commute is not only bad. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, it's uh, basically we adapted to it because for for many it was a necessary occurrence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and given that, as you said, it is for many a necessary occurrence and and equally for many people, there may not be a huge choice about the form of the commute, whether it's walking, cycling, driving, train, public transport, whatever. are are there any steps that you feel individuals can take to either mitigate or perhaps manage the 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 more negative impacts of of the commute on on productivity
1: Uh, yes so so we looked at two factors essentially one one factor is work demands and we looked at so-called self-control demands Uh, and what we found is that that basically if people can avoid Further self-control demands when arriving at work after an aversive commute then this already has protective effects. So essentially, uh, we, what you shouldn't do when you have a bad commute is basically then start your work day by engaging with a very difficult challenging customer or tackling the, the most challenging task you have. So essentially the idea would be uh, or, or ideally, uh, employees could, could give themselves the opportunity to recover resources uh, once arriving at work, so, so taking a break, uh, maybe chatting with a nice colleague, so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, uh, the practical implications of, these, of this are a little bit constrained, because obviously, if you have an aversive commute, you come late to work, <laughs> then having a chat with a colleague may not like like appear as the best solution. But the idea is maybe to start with tasks that you are very familiar with uh, and where you don't need any self-control to do them. So, so, so routine tasks, automated tasks would be the preferable way once you arrive at, at work. The other factor we looked at is, is basic needs satisfaction. And the idea of this factor is that that at work the satisfaction of different psychological needs uh, can basically uh, facilitate intrinsic motivation or autonomous regulation and these needs are the need for autonomy, uh, competence and relatedness. And in that regard uh, if, if I can satisfy or if my manager or my organization can satisfy these uh, basic needs for me at work by giving me the autonomy or sufficient autonomy to do my tasks by uh, giving me tasks that I feel competent at or training me to tackle challenging work tasks on my own and if I work in a team where I feel related to others this is another factor which can alleviate the harmful impact of the, of the morning commute.
0: And it makes sense given times uh, I remember seeing people come into an office after a long commute. And the first thing they wanted to do was maybe grab a close colleague who, a friend say, and, and go get a coffee and, and just spend a few moments just kind of decompressing, catching up on the news, but in a more social and relaxed way before hitting the heavy tasks
1: yes yes exactly that's that's the <laughs> the general idea behind it
0: yeah so w- w- what about then from an organizational perspective um if, if organizations particularly as the pandemic hopefully comes to uh, to some kind of close over the coming months w- what steps can they perhaps take to to again to mitigate or to, or to manage this sort of uh, process and the implications of it
1: I mean, I mean, one point we, we, we have realized during the pandemic is: is, is there really a need to be, uh, for people to be in the office all the time? And, and, and probably for many uh, employees, there is no need. I mean, I can fully understand that, that a nurse can't do uh, his or her job from home. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, I don't think that these are the professions in question. Uh, but I think in many professions where where uh, organizational culture certain understandings of, of uh, working from home uh, have dominated policies in terms of, of full-on office fixed work times and so on uh, I hope that the, during the pandemic these organizations may may realize that that working from home can be an option uh, I, I uh, emphasize that that uh, I don't say that that organizations should adapt to work from home and then sell their their offices at city centers and, and just just move move all em- employees uh, outside of these offices but I think giving uh, employees the flexibility the autonomy to to choose on which days they go to work and on which days they may be better off at home is is one aspect which which organizations could do uh, to prevent the harmful consequences of of the commute. The same goes for flexible time arrangements. So if I need to arrive at at work, let's say at 8.30, 9 a.m., then then I'm more likely to be stuck in traffic if I have the flexibility maybe to come into work at 10 or 11 or 7 a.m., depending on personal preferences then obviously I can uh, basically design my commute ar- around avoiding traffic and so on. So so. this is one, one thing organizations should do and in terms of hybrid working, obviously there is also the point that organizations should provide employees the equipment and, and the environment to, to work from. Uh, home because essentially not everybody has a study room not everybody has the the right equipment not everybody has the uh, necessary internet connection to be able to to effectively work from home uh, and i mean so far organizations have outsourced this responsibility very much to employees at least from from what i noticed uh, and I think uh, the responsibility also lies in the organization because, I mean, if you work from home, but your internet connection is so slow that you can't properly Skype with people, you can't interact, then this becomes not very much an option for, for employees.
0: Absolutely. And I guess there, there there is also, though, if we think about some of the potential negatives of that, and I guess we're stepping now into a, a broader discussion of working from home, the impacts on developing a, a coherent organizational culture might, might also be be felt that perhaps if we think about 18 months, 15, 18 months of the, the pandemic, organizations have been able to make do. But if many organizations move to more of a, a working from home model, then there, there, there might be greater impacts on organizational culture and its formation. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, I
1: absolutely agree. And I think it's also tied to, to uh, uh, the, the culture of, of, for example, the, uh, the nation or so, so national culture, I mean, being, being from Germany, I know that, that organizations in Germany, they are very reluctant, very hesitant to move to working from home, even during the peak of, of the pandemic. I know a lot of 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 uh, colleagues and 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 friends of mine who worked in jobs who would be perfectly uh, deliverable from home, who still commuted to work because uh, it was the company culture and and I think uh, there are certain stereotypes or certain conceptions leaders have in that regard in the sense that that uh people don't do their work people do everything else when they are at home while we actually know that that people from 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 previous research that people work more when they are at
0: home and i guess that's one of those those odd ironies that people do actually work more when they're at home despite what what many employers think and i remember hearing i think last year now about uh a manager in England who insisted that his team have their cameras turned on at all times, so that he could see them and monitor exactly what they were doing, and and that's probably going to have the opposite impact.
1: I mean, I mean, I mean it's it's interesting that you mention it, and and I mean, uh, I I think generally, uh, or 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 we as work psychologists, we 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 wouldn't have a view of people as as generally lazy and wanting to avoid work uh, and i think i think in in many situations where, where people uh, try to avoid work it has a lot to do with with the conditions at work so essentially they are doing jobs which they don't find inherently interesting uh, maybe they have difficult supervisors and uh, may, maybe it's 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 a team climate or culture question so in that regard I think many organizations can do a lot to to essentially uh, facilitate employee productivity by by just tackling motivation and engagement uh, and, and and I think that's what 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 the core message also of our research is that that basically by by supporting employees in a certain way uh, many aversive impacts of hybrid or home working can be alleviated.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much for your insights, uh, Professor Vlad Rivkin of Trinity Business School in Dublin.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license.